From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 152. Today's show is brought to you by Eero, Ting, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, my wonderful co-host, Mr. Mike Hurley. How are you? Very well. This is a co-host appreciation episode. Uh, that, that's right. That's right. Traditionally, uh, the 152nd episode is the co-host appreciation episode. But Jason, nobody cares about how wonderful we are. Hashtag Snell no. Talk this week comes <gasps> from... Eric. Eric wants to know, how does Jason's working setup and schedule change during the summer when the kids are out of school? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It changes in every possible way. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, well... um there's people in my pl- in in the place that is usually not does not have people in it and that 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 uh so schedule wise um so my wife works her work starts a little bit late i think she starts work at uh 9:30 usually i think is when uh, is when she starts but um that doesn't uh that doesn't happen uh that's after the kids are off to school so the the School is the thing that gets us up in the morning. Things are happening in the morning mm-hmm. because the kids are out the door by like 7.45. So everything happens more slowly in the summertime, which is nice, I guess. But it's also frustrating because like I like being gotten up by the activity in the house. And instead, I sort of have to start the activity in the house because everybody else is is slow uh, in in getting up, so that's that's a challenge. Um, it's nice in the sense that I don't have to run my kids around to different activities after school, which I sometimes have to do, can, and that can be a time waster and a distraction for my afternoon work. Right, and I'd say, but I'd say the biggest thing to me is that I I really am, like I said when when I started, I I, I am accustomed to working. I can work with the door open to the rest of the house. I can move my I can like set up my iPad and a keyboard on the counter in the kitchen on the bar top and get a little change of scenery. I can there are lots of things I can do and the house is silent other than like the presence of the cat and the dog. And um when the kids are home for the summer, I got to close the door. There I can hear them like shouting and playing video games and doing stuff in the rest of the house and I I you know I feel a little more uh, isolated in that way, where where if I have to hunker down and, and do work when everybody's having fun, right <laughs> on the other side of the wall. So it's different psychologically, and I, I um, as nice as it is to have summer vacation and have flexibility for trips and things like that. The fact is that when the kids go back to school, the the professional working part of me will be um, incredibly relieved because I get to go back to sort of my default state, mm-hmm. where when I'm in the core of my work day nobody's here um and that is it's less distracting that way there are fewer distractions in that scenario so you know but like there are positives like i said but i think that in the end it knocks me out of my uh normal working rhythm and some are so scattershot that there's never there's not like a summer pace either it's like sometimes the kids are here sometimes one of them has gone to a camp or to a friend's house and it it's all just much more erratic and that's not great if you're trying to get into a groove so um the nice thing about it is that even if they're camped out in the house if it's a nice warm day i can just go out in the backyard under the tree with uh with a chair and with my ipad and get work done and that's pretty great 
If you're interested in hearing more about this type of thing, uh, I recommend Free Agents on Relay FM, which is a show that Jason hosts with David Sparks. On episode number four, Location, 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 I think the two of you went into depth about like what would it maybe take to work out of the home and stuff like that so people yeah. can get more, more color there if they want to. But as always, thank you, Eric, for submitting your Snell Talk question. If you want to have a question that opens the show, just send a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk. I collect them up and pick the ones that I find super interesting. I have a nice backlog, right. Jason. I've got a great, great spreadsheet building up. Don't tweet them at me. I don't want to see them. No. I don't want to see them until right before the show or or right when Mike asks me. I don't. I don't want to. I'll be tempted to answer them directly yeah, don't, <laughs> on Twitter, don't do and that's no good. If no, I tweet I them at me, know. I'll just send them out into the ether. I will see mm. them all. Don't worry. As long as you use the hashtag SnellTalk, I see them all. Mike sees all, knows all. Talking about seeing them all, Jason, I feel like in the past week, we've seen every Mac Mini user uh, currently around. <laughs> yep. yep. All the Mac Mini users wrote to us, yep. and we appreciate it. It's... We the last week's show was funny because um, I was I mean we're talking about a product that doesn't I mean it it, it currently exists in Apple's price list right it's still a current it's product Schrodinger's computer right like yeah. it either does and doesn't exist yeah well we know Apple reassured us that that uh, in that thing that it it is a product that exists mm-hmm. great that that was the most minimum of reassurance but uh, so our conversation was me saying I like the Mac Mini and I use it and I think it needs to be around but it's it's never getting refreshed it's obviously a low priority and being intrigued by like what i saw with that intel next unit computing thing the nook that is like a mini mac mini and how i look at that and think say apple could make a really interesting next gen mac mini if it wanted to mm-hmm. where um it was even smaller because it doesn't you know it, it's only going to have a, an ssd in it and so they, they can make it that much smaller and just like keep keep making it smaller and smaller and uh, you took a devil's advocate position for the purposes of like uh, conversation, I think, about like, well, do they really need it? And I think what we heard as a result, what we heard from Mac many people was not, yay, hooray, thank you for defending it. And was not, boo, you are mean, you, you, you know, you shouldn't have said bad things about it. They're like, well, they really just kind of talked about it yeah. back and forth. So what instead what we got was lots of descriptions of how people use the Mac Mini. And what I took from that was very much what we said in the show last week, which was the Mac Mini doesn't have one use. It kind of is that like we like I said, like the spackle, <laughs> the uh the, the the caulk. It just fills in a whole bunch of parts of the Mac market that other Macs don't reach mm-hmm. so we heard from people who say they've got it in racks as like as musicians uh in installations for art uh for um a lot of people pointed out that at 500 dollars, like it is way cheaper to get into the mac with a mac mini yep. than any other device like there are lots of examples and i feel like we covered those last week but it was good to hear from mac mini people to basically say yes yes there are all the things you said and all these things that you didn't say are reasons why we're enthusiastic about it. And I think that's why it still exists, quite frankly, is that there is a mar- a market of assorted parts, but it's it's kind of like a junk drawer. Um, and I mean that in the nicest sense, which is, you know, you're like, whoa, this drawer is full. Yes, it is full, but it's full of like all sorts of assorted little things. That's kind of the Mac Mini, which is it's just it's it's a tool that can be applied to lots of different lots of different things so it was yep. great to get that feedback because i think it proved the point which is uh people really love it uh and they're using it for a huge 
diverse set of tasks that are it's not like it's big in x like it's no it's just kind of scattered around everywhere people use it for when they want a mac in a certain place and it's the best one that fits yeah i feel like from the feedback that we got what what i've taken away is that this is maybe the most versatile computer that Apple currently sells from just how people use it, not how they make it, right? Like, if you know, you think about versatility, I think we typically think of, oh, the, the uh, modular Mac Pro that's coming in the future is very versatile. But really, that's going to have one or two main uses, right? Like people that want to play games and people that want to do high-end production. It'll be an amazingly versatile piece of hardware, yep. but in the end, it will probably be... L- because of the price, it will probably be concentrated yeah. in some very, very specific markets. But like yeah. the Mac Mini, people like they re- they purpose it for lots and lots and lots of weird and wonderful things because you can because it's small. It's all in this one little box. It doesn't, you know, you can run it headless. Like it's it's an interesting machine, and I I think the way that I came out of it. I wouldn't say that I'm, I was particularly down on the Mac Mini. I kind of was just apathetic. But now I, I do feel a little bit more of a sense of like, I hope it sticks around just because I don't know, like I feel like there's all these people that seem to be, continue to be super excited about a machine that's just not very good anymore. And so I th- I would really like to see it get updated now. Yeah, I think that's uh, I mean, that was sort of my goal when I and prompted by seeing that that uh, Intel Nook and, and, and talking to Russell about his experience uh, buying one of those that I, I just had that thought of like, oh, this this is something that makes me excited about the Mac Mini. And I feel like that would be good, like to have a Mac Mini that excites people. And again, I kind of expect that even if Mac were to do or Apple were to do an update on the Mac Mini, um, even if all they did was turn over the processors, but let's say they do make a mini Mac Mini, a, a, a an even more mini, uh, that's that's a little bit smaller, that's that's kind of might not be as small as an Intel Nook, but something like that. You know, they wouldn't update it again for three years, and I think that would be okay. Like, I, I think that's what that product is going to be. It's never going to be cutting edge. They're not going to be putting in the effort to turn it over every year. Uh, maybe they could. It would be nice if they if they did, but they don't have to. But I do. I do think continuing to like kind of nudge it along every so often, keep the keep that plate spinning, is a good thing because uh, there are uses for that, and it makes the Mac as a whole a better platform and a better a better uh, environment for people even if its isolated uh, value is not particularly great because yep. that way you're keeping people in the platform in the ecosystem by giving them that outlet at $500 or $700 or whatever they want to price it at so last week you were uh, you had a game of thrones hangover i think is the right oh, way oh man put it. The show had just come back. It's like week two or something like that. Week one, week two. I don't know how many. I don't. I don't watch Game of Thrones. But you, you had a bit of a Game of Thrones hangover week last week. Yeah. Well, so I do a podcast about it right after it's on. So I have to watch it and take notes, and then we do a podcast. And and sometimes it's late, and then I got to edit it and post it and all of those things. And this happened last year when it was on. Then I get up the next morning and do upgrade. And sometimes I'm very sleepy. In fact, today I tried to get up early and have more more tea and also um i i was i tried to be done earlier last night mm-hmm. um so that i would be awake for upgrade because uh, i didn't want the game of thrones hangover again <laughs> because last week and you know 
the and we didn't get nearly as much uh, feedback about this as nope. I thought we would, which is uh, because everybody was too busy telling us about their Mac Minis. I guess. Well, no, you know what it is, Jason. I think people just believed it because you said it in the same way that I believed it because ah. you said it to the point that I then repeated these facts on Connected. Yeah, you know. Uh, so here's <laughs> so here's what happened is I was, parts of my brain were asleep, and uh, what I said was that the MacBook was weighed a pound, which, of course, it weighs two pounds. Mm -hmm. And that the MacBook Pro was twice as heavy, but it isn't. It's like three pounds. Yeah, it's 50% as heavy. And and why did I say that? Because, quite honestly, I don't know, my brain was not working right, and when you're on a podcast, you just say stuff, and then you're like, okay. And yep. and the, the, the thing of it is, my brain at that point when I said it and we were talking about it was like, Really? One pound? That seems kind of light. light. Maybe you mean two pounds. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> you know, and I just no kept one talking. No in the chat room got us. Like, we just kept rolling no. with it. And then I believed it for an extra two days. My, my inner fact checker was like, I think that might not be right. I think that not, might not be right. But again, parts of my brain just not just were asleep um so i apologize for it's a podcast uh, sometimes we say things that are wrong yep. and that was one of them it's a two pound product somebody pointed out boy i'd love a one pound macbook i'm like yeah that would be pretty great because that would be the weight of the 9.7 inch or the 10.5 oh, inch word. uh ipad pro right that would be wow. really great but no that's gonna be a long time coming one day but uh but two pounds which is still very light for a laptop. All the other thing, Mike, is all my arguments about it were right. It's just the numbers were wrong. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them is smaller, and one of them is bigger, and mm -hmm. one of them is you know all that. Um, another thing that I think is interesting, although again I would say it kind of doesn't quite change the argument. It just changes the terms. Is that um, our friend Marco Arment wrote in to point out that although the build to order uh, the processors in the in the MacBook are now called i fives and i sevens, uh, it's basically a marketing change. They are still the same product line as the M five and M seven in the previous generation, and this is one of those sneaky things where now they can say, "Look, it's got an i five processor in it," but as Marco points out, it's still that same. 5-watt product line, uh, barely faster than the ones they had before. Very little variation between the lowest and the highest-end CPUs. So Yeah, this is on the 12-inch MacBook, just for just for double-double clarification, yeah. just so we don't get it wrong again. Yeah, yeah. So so although we can now say, look, you can get an i7 in a MacBook, isn't that awesome? But you know, yes, they call it an i7, but it's really the same as what they used to call the M7. And and that's true. It's not going to... It's not going to blow away the processor and the uh, MacBook Pro without Touch Bar. It's not going to going to blow it away at all. It is it is a much less powerful CPU. However, the overall argument still remains the same, which is for almost everything, it's fine. <laughs> that's that's the bottom line of that. But it is a good point and another point that my sleeping brain um, spaced on, which is it's a marketing change. And not really mm -hmm. a uh, a hardware change yep. substantially, and be, keep that in mind. That um, this is one of those things where, like, oh, people are turned off by this M5 branding because they're so used to uh, the, you know the the i5 branding. Like, okay, we'll call it that then. <laughs> All right, I guess Perfect. you could do that. Yeah, upgrade. brilliant. It's an upgrade. Yeah, that's right. Developer of Carrot Weather wrote in Brian Mueller. Uh, and he got in touch to say, because we were talking about Carrot Weather last week, uh, that it is actually possible to force Carrot Weather to use a specific weather station, which is something that you were looking for. 
Um, yes, it is. This is very exciting. I, I actually just did this the other day after Brian's advice. You go into a location, which I hadn't really thought about, like saving my location and saying, basically you go to the current location and you tap the kind of uh, more button and it says, uh, in this location, you can choose, a, if you've got Weather Underground as your source, you can choose a weather station. And basically, so when I'm in Mill Valley, I have set my watch and phone app of Carrot Weather to use my weather station, uh, which is awesome because the current temperature then is the the actual current temperature in my backyard because there's a lot of variation where I live, a lot of microclimates. What's funny about this is that now... That data is intermingled with the forecast data, which is still, what I said before, problematic because if you're using a forecast for the town below me or the town above me, uh, it could be a huge temperature range. So, like, it was a very, it's been very foggy here the last couple of days, even though there's been heat in other parts of the Bay Area, it's been very foggy here right by the water. And so, the little chart in Carrot Weather shows, like, the current temperature is... 62 and then it's got uh and that's based on my weather station the rest of it is based on a forecast from a data source right and those are all like 74 76 78 so there's there's like what it actually is and then the dream of what the forecast is and they they still don't match but that's that's fine because it's a forecast and it actually is useful because i can see their forecast is way uh, too optimistic for how warm it's going to get today. But bottom line is, yeah, I can look at carrot weather now and see um, the actual temperature in, at my house, which is awesome. And it's such a good app. Have you played with the watch app? Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic, right? And the complication is, I, I love it. And so just another huge thumbs up. So just a second recommendation. What? <laughs> it the is the, it's the first because uh, Weather Underground makes a watch app with a uh, with a complication, but they haven't updated it in a while, and it's, so it's sort of the old tech. This is the first watch app where I've been able to put a weather complication on my watch that is the current temperature at my house and is actually right and yep. updated. And I love it. It's fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted. Is I want to be able to look down at my watch and see what's the temperature outside, and now I can. Jason, you want to take this next piece of follow-up? Uh, sure, yes. So um, those who are uh, people who are Relay members may remember last summer we did a uh, what's called a Parsley Adventure. Uh, there's, uh, there's a guy named Jared Sorensen who has created a series of, uh, they're like text adventures for uh, as a party game. So basically you get a group together and somebody is the parser, and they have the map. They have the they have the the rules, and they uh, they accept your commands in the style of an old text adventure. So go north, get get you know get the the gun, um, go south, shoot the gun, um, and they're a lot of fun. We played three of them so far on the Incomparable Game Show, and there's another one coming this week. And last summer, you and CGP Gray mm-hmm. played a, a game called Six Gun Showdown from yep. this Parsley collection uh, with me as the parser. And that was our Upgrade Cortex crossover special for members. And it's still available if you become a member and you've not heard it. You can become a, a Relay member and get it. And it's fantastic. You should do it. Like It was so much fun. Yeah, and, and we should tease that um, th- this the membership season for Relay is coming up later this summer. Yep. And yes... There is a new Mike and Gray play a text adventure with the Snellatron 5000 coming. 
So if you're if you are thinking of being a relay member, uh, that there's another inducement. And if you're already a relay member, get excited! It's, we're going to do another one, and it's going to be hilarious. Yep. Um, we have a, Mike is hard at work it's on done. it. It's done. It's basically yep. done, and it's brilliant. And uh, we had so much fun of it. And if you're a member, you're going to love it. So go to relay.fm slash membership, support any show, and you'll get all of the benefits. You'll get all of the the perks, and you'll be hearing a lot more about this uh, in a few weeks as our kind of membership season kicks off at Relay FM. Right. So. But the reason we're mentioning it now is there's a Kickstarter going on yep. for the next, as we record this, 11 days. That is by Jared Sorensen, the creator of Parsley Games, including Action Castle and Six Gun Showdown. And you can get, uh, if you back it, you can get a PDF of the entire collection of the Parsley Games, and you can get a you can get a book uh, with the entire collection. And I would say it is really fun as a party game. Um, one person is the parser. Everybody else just plays along. Uh, ideally, the way you do it, which is not how Gray and, and Mike chose to do it, is everybody is forced to take turns and not collaborate, which means you end up sort of like um, arguing mm-hmm. in your commands to the parser, which is funny. Yeah, it's uh, so I recommend people go to Kickstarter. We'll put a link in the show notes and back this. I backed it. I want to get the hardcover. I think it's a lot of fun. There's Me a lot too. of neat art that is focused on each of the games. He commissions original art for each of the games. And then there's like extra stuff that's, uh, that's in the, uh, uh, in the, the Kickstarter that, that uh, will be in the, in the new book. So uh, it's a lot of fun. So check it out. We're going to do a new one. We've already got one that's available for members. And then the incomparable game shows got, got some that you can check out too. um, Starting with action castle and a new one this week there. So it's just a lot of fun. So people should check out Jared Sorensen's parsley games, kickstarter yeah so go back i backed the the hardcover um they're so much fun so you should go check them out and uh, we'll put a link on the show notes for that all right today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at ting now, this is really cool ting is a mobile phone service that wants to help you save money imagine that ting believes you should only pay for what you use and with prices like ten dollars per gigabyte of data the average ting customer will pay just 23 dollars a month phone for their cell service if you're in the u.s and you use a cell phone i mean surely everybody here is doing that right you're gonna love what the guys over at ting can do for you they don't believe in contracts overage fees or those unlimited plans that have tons of catches they have top rated no hole customer support if you call ting you get through to a person they are focused on offering the best prices they can for their customers and any savings that they are able to make they will pass on to you 80% of devices made in the last two years can come to Ting, and they support both GSM and CDMA. Ting will also allow you now to get the latest iPhone as soon as it launches, and you can even bundle that up with AppleCare too. Ting have all of that available. If you're stuck in a contract and you want to move to Ting, they will offer you a 25% credit from your t- to pay off your early termination fee as well. So they give you that up to $75 per device that you bring. So you get a Ting credit for bring, breaking your early termination. So lovely. Oh, you get to save some money. To get started, head over to upgrade.ting.com and use their handy device checker to confirm your phone can make the switch. And if you're looking to upgrade, Ting has plenty of options for you in their online shop to get a lovely new handset. Listeners of this show can get $25 off selected devices or keep that as a Ting credit. Just go to upgrade.ting.com and see how much you can save. We thank Ting for their support this show so last week jason in ask upgrade uh we answered the question of whether we thought that there was going to be a new apple watch this year and you didn't think so but i thought so uh there's been a report from mac rumors this week 
who are saying that uh, at one of Apple's manufacturing partners for the watch, I think they've been responsible for building all of the watches so far, or at least a vast majority of them, a company called Quanta. Uh, they are indicating that they are going to enjoy a strong second half of 2017, uh, in part due to a third-generation Apple Watch. And previous rumors indicate uh, that there will be no major visual design change, but we're going to see a Soul Radio in Series 3, and that was just kind of reiterated by Mac Rumors. So what do you think? Do you think that that sounds compelling? Well, I mean, I, I think the next generation Apple Watch, or at least, well, I shouldn't say that, right? I think the next big step for the Apple Watch is cellular connectivity, yeah. right? Because yeah. one of the challenges right now is you have to bring your phone with you if you want to get a text message, get a call, anything like that. You need to bring your phone with you. And I, I face this every time that I go out running or bike riding with my I got an Apple Watch, I got AirPods, and, you know, when I ride my bike, I bring my phone and I stick it in the bag underneath the seat, right? So it's not in my pocket, but it's still with me. And when I'm running, it's in my pocket and, you know, wiggling around down there and it's not great, but I need to do it. So the next step is leave your phone at home. It doesn't matter. You're still out there. If you, there's an emergency, you can still call. You can If somebody calls you or texts you, you can see it. That's clearly where the Apple Watch needs to go. And I know people are like, yeah, I don't care about that so much. It's like, yeah, but it will be so much more useful when it can reliably, and the apps on it will be more useful when they can reliably update over a connection. And... All of the carriers now are offering, you know, little monthly upgrades that attach to your constellation of devices and put it on your plan. And I, I think that's where clearly where this is going. The question is, this is a rumor that's like, okay, a manufacturer says they expect to do better. And the cited like previous reports is like a supply chain analyst in March mm-hmm. said that it would have this. So it's like... I'd say these are not the strongest rumors. It doesn't mean they're not true. No, it's but not, it's not the, like blockbuster. These are not Mark Gurman says that this is happening. These are more like, you know, a guy who is an analyst says that he thinks it might happen. And a company that has been known to make products for Apple thinks that it will be nice later it's like it's a very weird kind of hazy thing so i'd say this pushes it a little more into the likelihood percentage you know a little bit more than Mm -hmm. last week Mm -hmm. but and 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 i don't think it's an unreasonable rumor right i think i think it's highly unlikely that apple's going to completely radically change the apple watch design right i i think it's kind of iconic at this point like you know it's an apple watch it keeps compatibility with all of the the these uh these bands that they've sold um they're not going to be able to make it radically smaller that's not going to happen if they change the screen everybody would have to redo their apps which i think nobody wants to do so um so yeah keeping the same design and adding cellular connectivity is totally what the next step would probably be unless they can't get there yet and they're going to do another like little half step where well it's a little faster and it's got one new feature um but i i think the question is will it be this fall or not i really don't know like it could be it totally could be and i think i said that when we talked about this is like yeah sure it could be or it could be a year we don't really understand what apple's approach with the apple watch is but 
Um, now that they've got the different series, that might actually free them up to make a Series 3 with cellular connectivity and get rid of the Series 1, keep the Series 2 around, and allow the Series 3 to have a higher price because it's got the cellular connectivity for people who want it. That that um, that could totally be what they do this fall. And I would welcome it because I think the Apple Watch with cellular is going to be a way better product, like vastly better product. They need to get there. I can't wait for that day where I can leave the phone at home and still be connected and, and get everything that I need to do. But, um, you know, will it be this fall? I don't know. I, I, that, that's a lot of stuff to cram into that Apple watch, right? I mean, mm-hmm. are they at that point now where they can do that? Maybe a lot of the other smartwatches have cellular connectivity, so maybe they can. I think it makes sense. Like I've been thinking about this, like to do it now, do it before you make a visual change, right? Because the hardware case is the same size. I think it was like slightly thicker. So, they're getting used to like making things smaller and potentially making some space, right? Like if if, if I the, the little I understand about this stuff, right? Like miniaturization continues and you're able to be more efficient. Well, you want to make sure you have a ton of battery in it if you're going to put a cell radio in there. And considering how good the battery life is in the Series 2, if you can keep that, make it a little bit better even and then throw a cell chip in, like that makes the most sense to me before you make it thinner maybe, which I assume is going to happen at some point, right? They, they will do a big visual change. It might make sense to try and get the cell radio in before that, but we'll see. We'll see. I would welcome either of those things, either a big visual change to make it a lot thinner or a cell radio. I'll be equally happy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some... Uh, <laughs> Some leaks which are significantly more credible um, than than what we saw today. Overnight, last night, as we record this, Steve Trouton-Smith, notable uh, code miner, has once again been digging into some code from Apple to find some details about future product releases. There's quite, quite a few little tidbits here, so we're going to kind of try and go through them uh, piece by piece. So... This time, all of this stuff was found on a HomePod firmware release, which was <laughs> located on Apple's servers. I actually want to start with just talking about that as a as a as a thing that happened before we actually talk about what was in there. Like, it, this is so weird to me. Like, why did this ever exist in the public? It must have been a mistake, right? It's got to be, right? I mean, why? I mean, I suppose you need to test the HomePod firmware update and things like that. And they've probably seeded units to people at Apple and they want to push out the firmware updates. But to have it on a public website where Steve Trouton Smith is watching... Uh, that shouldn't well, and happen. And many others, right? Like, it's not just something that he snuck into. Like, this is a thing that people can access. Like, there are a bunch of people that saw this. There are a bunch of people that dug into it. But there are people that just see it and just kind of ignore it. But, like, this is this is a thing that was just available for the public to dig into, essentially. Yeah, there's a, there's a page where you can see the firm, firmware downloads mm-hmm. and... There's this this device that is not a previously known device in terms of its identifier. I, I wonder if there's a disconnect about like, well, it shouldn't be a problem because we already announced the HomePod, so this shouldn't be an issue. But the problem is that the software is assuming a world the, at the end of the year where all the new iPhones have come out. And so they contain... They're building it for that world. They're not going to release it before then. So, right? So you you don't you don't have the software that you're working on in beta 
in July for a product that's going to ship in December, uh, you don't have it not know about the next iPhone because you know why would you do that? Why would you have to add that late in the game? You're you're building for December. You you're pretending essentially that it is December when you're when you're building this product because you don't need to release it before then. And uh, I wonder if there was a disconnect where somebody said. Uh, well, you know, it's already announced product. We can just put it up and it's not a big deal. Nobody's got one. Um, but inside it, and this is not the first time this has happened, but inside it, there are lots of uh, details uh, that can be gleaned about what's in the uh, what's in the HomePod. And the HomePod makes references to stuff that's in the new iPhones. Which is even more delectable. Like I've seen screenshots of people posting where... There are files and strings and stuff like that that have the word hide in them. As in, yeah. things are supposed so, to be hidden, which is yeah. beautiful, right? Like, that's <laughs> a thing that I, I think that's, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not good, right? Like, either, either that stuff should have been trimmed or this should be, have been put in an alternate stream. And it's, you know, this stuff is complicated and somebody appears to have really screwed it up. <laughs> So let's talk about what some of the details were, what some of the details were of the, of the release. Um, so the firmware has included data that refers to a few different things which can be attributed to some rumors about the upcoming iPhone that I don't actually think that we've really covered at all uh, on this show about like the facial detection and stuff like that. So the firmware includes refer- references to something called Face Detect, Infrared Capture and Pearl ID. And I've seen people tweeting uh, that apparently Pearl ID is an internal code name for a face detection system. So this seems like pretty solid evidence that the next iPhone is going to have some kind of face detection system, right? Like they are referencing it. The code is clearly referencing that Apple is building some kind of face detection, right? Like, that's what this is. It, it sure looks like it, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with this, that this is an infrared camera on the front of the device so that it can see you even in darkness and it will detect your face. And there are strings in there about like too many faces or can't detect a face. Um, and so it looks very much like this is uh, an iPhone that is, uh, you know, doing biometric verification via face detection. Yeah. What do you think about this, Jason? How do you feel? I mean, we've not spoken about it. Like, what what are your feelings when you hear Touch ID goes away, replaced by face detection? Well, um, so my initial thoughts were that this is sounds real complicated, right? And I remember you guys talked about this unconnected. Like, Touch ID is everywhere, right? And you and you having a biometric approval system is uh, vital to what Apple does. So you can't not have a biometric approval system. But (laughs) um, yet there were these rumors about this. So the next question is, okay, let's assume this is true. What does that mean? And I got to say, I don't think Apple would, if you think back to other things that we've been skeptical about, like I don't think Apple would release face scanning (laughs) as their biometric replacement for Touch ID if they didn't feel like they 
had it down, right? I feel like we're imagining this does happen sometimes and they may blow it. I mean, it's entirely possible, but we sometimes what we do is we imagine a bad implementation of something because it seems so hard and unlikely and we think of all the challenges that are involved. And then Apple comes out with it, like the fingerprint scanning, honestly, and and everybody goes, oh, like, oh, Apple did a good job. They implemented it properly. That's got to be what's going on here, right? Like, if they... I really believe this, that if they don't have the face recognition stuff working, they wouldn't ship the phone. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously, I think it's that simple, that there's no way that Apple is going to ship a brand new flagship iPhone with a biometric identification system that doesn't work. Like, I, I just, I can't see that happening. That That is not what Apple does. That would be the most un-Apple thing imaginable. So I've got to start thinking, um, what would this be like if it totally did what it said? Like, literally, I pick up my phone and it knows it's me. And it works and it and it's unlocked or at least i can unlock it easily at that point um there are a lot of questions right about what that means in terms of could somebody else hold your phone up to your face uh, while you're tied in a chair being held hostage and use your phone yeah but they could probably jam your finger on the on the touch id button too so i don't know i feel like we have to start conceiving of how this could be good um good enough for apple to actually implement it because I don't think I believe that Apple would put like Apple Pay and all of their security stuff in the hands of technology that they weren't supremely confident would work. I am completely of the opinion. Like I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? You know, the rumors have been around for like a month or so now. My feeling is just, well, I am confident that it's going to be great, right? Like that's that's how I feel about it. Like. Right now, I'm like, well, I'm sure that it's going to be awesome, because why else would they do this? Right? Like, I of this exact same mindset that you're in. This isn't just like the next iPhone. This is like the next iPhone that we're expecting is going to be a mega expensive iPhone, and that they would be like, oh, hey, everyone, you're buying this new phone, <laughs> and like to unlock it, like, just sucks. Do I think that it will be? as completely reliable as touch id no probably not like it i reckon it will probably get close but every now and then it it might get a bit confused but like i'm okay with that as long as the the margin of error is slim within that kind of that realm right like that it's almost as good or as good for me to accept it because it's like i expect it to be really cool right like i'm i'm willing to to Take a small, like a small, I mean small, hit on reliability if it is significantly cooler than Touch ID, right? Because you can kind of, you can kind of let it go, right? Like it was like when Touch ID came around, every now and then it wouldn't work. Now, my, I could always put my passcode in correctly, but that's nowhere near as cool as using your fingerprint. So I'm expecting there to be an increase in the cool factor. And if that is met and, and they do a, just a good enough job at trying to get it close, then I would be happy personally. There's coolness and there's, uh, I would say, speed is another thing. Like, re- there's reliability, and you're right, it might be less reliable, but I think speed is an issue. Like, mm-hmm. you want it to unlock, like, fast. And people, the fact that people talk about second generation Touch ID is kind of ridiculous. Why do they do that? They talk about it because 
it's faster. Like that matters to people. Like it unlocks my phone faster. I I just had it where I was doing something in the kitchen and then I tried to unlock my phone and my 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 fingers felt dry and the phone felt dry and yet obviously there was a little bit of moisture there and it's a second generation touch ID sensor didn't matter. It was like nope, you can't unlock your phone. Put in your password. And it's like ah, like it does happen. It does happen now, even with second generation Touch ID. But yeah, you want it to be fast. You want it to be pretty reliable. And having it be cool is is great. I think the other thing I would say is um, the difference between this and something like the dual camera thing. Like that was a with the de- with a depth mode, right? That is a, that is not a core feature. Like that could be in beta and kind of work. And not be that not be turned on originally, and still be fine, right? Because it was not a core feature of the phone. You could still do all the things you would expect to do on an iPhone, even if that didn't work right or was not turned on or was in beta, right? Mm-hmm. This is not that, right? Biometric authentication, what which up to now we've kind of called Touch ID, but it also includes uh, it includes face i face ID or whatever they call it. Um, that's a, a core feature. I also wonder about the Apple Watch. I, I have this other thought, which is, could they use the Apple Watch to authenticate as well? If you have an Apple Watch and, it's, and it hasn't left your wrist um, and you're close, would it let you go the other direction where it'd be like, oh, Apple Watch is still on, it's fine. I don't know if they would do that or not. but Because they do it the other way around, right? Like you could they put do. your watch on, unlock your phone. Oh, that, just in case people don't notice, you could have missed this. Uh, if you have your watch on and you unlock your phone, your watch unlocks and you don't need the code, which is just a nice little thing. Yeah, and it stays unlocked the entire time it stays on mm-hmm. your wrist because there's a proximity detector on it. And you can use your watch to unlock your Mac. So could you use your watch to unlock your phone and could that be a second way of doing it? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's not worth doing because this infrared thing is so amazing. But the point is that biometric authentication by whatever means is a core feature of the system now. Yep. Like you can't half-assed that you can't so i i think we have to assume that if this is real that apple feels supremely confident that this infrared camera and and face detection and whatever else they're doing to get that that face profile actually works like solidly because this is not a an experimental feature this is a core part of the iphone experience now but this wasn't all um but I, I did just. Why is this even in the HomePod stuff? Do you think? Like, why? Why is this showing up? I don't know. I mean, I was thinking maybe some kind of like remote authorization for something, but like I can't even work out what that would be. Maybe some of the Siri commands because it has to be tied to your phone, right? Like if you ask it to read you a message, the phone needs to be unlocked. So maybe like the HomePod needs to confirm that, and so like it's in the firmware. Like, it's just strange to see all this stuff popping up in there, right? It, it could be a mistake. Like, just it shouldn't be in there, but it got in there because of something in their process. This is a, you know, the HomePod is an iOS device, basically, or, you know, a variant. But it's basically another one, another ARM processor running code that's derived from iOS. Um so it could be that it's just kind of in there. It could be that there's something of like authenticating in order to change uh, features of the HomePod. Uh, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it looks it looks sloppy to me on a few levels, right? It's sloppy that it's in there, maybe sloppy that it got out. A um, lot of lot of sloppy stuff here. And I, I yes, I would not want to be 
in the hallway. Well, oh. maybe I would. But in the hallway between the people working on the HomePod and the people working on the new iPhone. Like, that would be to be a fly on the wall there as angry people m- march down the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> you ruined our product launch. Well, maybe there's no hallway, them. Jason. Maybe they all work in one big open plan area. Big, <laughs> yeah, and they're just throwing throwing uh-huh. stuff across the room at them. Yeah, mm-hmm, maybe. Maybe. Just, like, but again. Tomatoes, tin cans, yeah. There's so garbage. much stuff we've already spoken about, but there's more. So, um, apparently... Steve Trout and Smith discovered uh, that there is code relating to the HomePod that indicates that the top of the HomePod is some kind of LED matrix display. So it's it's pretty yeah. rudimentary. Um, it's not it's not like a display you would get in a phone, but it's like a grid of LEDs that could show shapes and symbols and stuff like that. So basically the the tale of what is that top part continues to just like change and change and change nobody like is 100 percent sure what's going to be shown on that little display on the top of the home pod but the technology seems to at least indicate that it's an led matrix display so there is animations there is stuff that it can show yeah it sounds like it's a 32 by 32 grid of leds it's not and this again it's not really a display in the way we think of it, Mm-mm. it's like a, a grid of dots. <laughs> it's a bunch of colored lights, right? Like, yeah, it allows know. them to do Siri animations um, and stuff like that. But and and they could, but they could theoretically put other indicators up there. So, like, if you if if they wanted to, I I think it's not built for that, and it's probably not what they want. They probably just want to do it so they can do little sort of Siri animations and things like that. But who knows? Um, it's interesting. They could put they could put symbols up there if they wanted to, or you know. But they're not. It's not going to be like displaying the name of the currently playing track or anything like that because it's a very small uh, little grid of, of dots. Unless it just shows you one letter at a time, <laughs> just it's like really slowly. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. But there is more. Uh, we have some iPhone stuff, some more iPhone stuff. The, this this firmware, this, this, this stuff that was found, also included an outline icon of, I, we're assuming what the next iPhone is going to look like, and it's yep. what we expected. It is uh, an, a version of an iPhone with thin bezels that has that little notch taken out of the top of the screen, right? The little forehead uh, that houses the cameras and sensors. I feel like yes. this is confirmed now. That's what the next iPhone is going to look like. You know, all, all of this, these mock-ups that we've seen, this potential hardware, there seems to be a lot of, like, confusion about what's in there. Uh, this this explains it. And, and, yeah, so no home button, buttons on the side, notch out the top. Yeah, and with a notch, it looks like what they're, what they're probably going to do there is have the um, battery status and the cellular status... Mm-hmm appear up there by the cameras and all that yep. and that that moves out of what we currently think of as the status bar that 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 is uh those things get tucked in in the side maybe the time too i don't know but like basically there are there's just enough space on either side of those sensors for some basic status information when you're holding the phone in in portrait orientation yeah so whilst there like there isn't a ton tons of sound that like that was the most interesting thing to me like that's what the next iphone is going to look like this leak came from apple right and, and i know it's like super basic right like just an outline but for this phone that tells so many stories right like an outline of an iphone before this not interesting the outline of this iphone 
very interesting, <laughs> right? Like it's the worst possible one for them to see. Yeah, because it's not, I could see the argument that like, well, it's not really a picture of the next iPhone. It's just sort of a platonic ideal of the iPhone, but like it's got no home button and it's got cutouts. Like this is not a shape of any existing iPhone and it corresponds exactly to the rumors of what the iPhone is. So it's very hard not to look at this unless this is a prank. You know, unless it's like, oh, put that put that in the HomePod stuff and see what they think. It uh, totally doesn't look like that, but let's do that. But uh, unless it's a really ridiculous prank that Apple is pulling on us, like this is just reaffirmation of the fact that the rumors were right. We're really building up now, right? A couple of months away. It, I know it's July 31st as we record this, but this is an August conversation, is it not? This is yeah. the, like, they turn the burner up all the way on iPhone rumors as we get through August into September. This is what August is like. It is the, you know, things start to really build toward that uh, that launch event. So uh, maybe, you know, it was July on the calendar, but this is, this feels very August to me. This is the, this is the height of iPhone silly season. Yeah. This is an August state of mind. This is, Mm -hmm. yeah, this very, really kind of just fascinating. All of these little tidbits just to come out of this one piece of firmware. I do wonder like at a certain point, can't Apple just offer like an insane amount of money to Steve Trout Smith and just hire him. Just stop him. Right? Like, just stop him. I know there are other people that find this stuff as well, but, like, I think he's high profile enough at a point that, like, when he posts this, every website runs with it because he has just great skills and track record of finding this stuff. You know, just, just offer the guy a bajillion dollars and, and stop him. Maybe make him work on the other side of it, right? Like, he can he can hide the things. <laughs> <laughs> so people like him can't find them. Super interesting. And some people have had a really, really bad Monday. Really bad. Just really I, bad. I I think so. When when you go to so much effort to double down on privacy and or on security and secrecy. And this is just stupid, right? Like this is just a silly mistake. Well, and it's you know, yeah, and it's leaking inadvertently from people who didn't understand what they were doing probably or didn't take proper care or weren't properly trained on it it's that's tough when mm-hmm. it's an accident yeah. and not you know they 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 do all of that work to tell people don't leak things keep it a secret and 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 they're it's all about intentional leaking right and then this is just a, a an accidental disclosure that that generates this it's mm-hmm. i mean you got to learn from it right and say oh yep. that is part of our process that we didn't really think about or you know in whether it's we didn't think about putting it up that that steve trotton smith exists i did have that moment where i thought can't apple just hire steve trotton smith yeah like he's he's kind of brilliant even if they didn't use him for anything like that guy he, he causes you trouble he has this great understanding of what's going on have him find your exactly your leaks and like, just tell you about it just put him in a room and just like stop him make him security yeah. officer like whatever it takes just pay him to 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 read books and eat ice cream all day if you want to go ahead because he's incredibly valuable because he he's the guy who takes uh takes this stuff apart and looks at it and has, has discovered all sorts of interesting things about it. Mm-hmm. I should mention, by the way, he has a Patreon. If people really like the the all these disclosures that are coming from, from Steve, uh, maybe you want to throw him a few bucks because uh, he does this all kind of out of his own inquisitiveness, but um, he does have a Patreon for people who want to support him. But I, I did have that same thought, which is, 
like maybe Apple should take him off the board in some way because because like uh, yeah anyway they'll they'll figure out like what part of their process broke down because it's not Steve's fault like people found this it was on a public website so yep. why was it there why was the stuff that was in it in it um, and either they didn't realize that that was visible or somebody didn't do the right thing and made a mistake and either they were just being human or they didn't get trained properly but whatever it is i'm sure they will you know redouble their efforts but it's super embarrassing and got to be frustrating for apple yeah as i said like i think what makes it so much worse is like there was all this code about hiding it right which was public which was visible right like, there's all these words like hide and stuff like that but like they hadn't hidden them <laughs> it's like oh gosh like it just it's just it's so glaring when you see it all just like right there fascinating this episode is brought to you by Eero never think about Wi-Fi again because Eero have created the dream setup a fast reliable connection for every room in your house even all the way out to the backyard if you haven't yet gotten on board of Eero's super slick Wi-Fi now is the best time to jump on as they have released their second generation devices as well as the new tri-band second-generation Eero, they are also introducing the Eero Beacon, which allows you to build a Wi-Fi system perfectly tailored to your needs in your home. With the addition of a third 5 gigahertz radio in the new second-gen Eero, it's twice as fast as its predecessor. You can do more than ever before. It has the power to blanket your entire home in even faster, more reliable Wi-Fi than ever before. It sits flat on any surface. You plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either via Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more. The Eero beacons are half the size, but even more powerful than the first-gen Eero that they are coming in to replace. You just plug the beacons into a wall, and it helps expand coverage to any room. You can add as many Eero beacons as you want, so long as you have one of the Eero devices. So you have one Eero device and then beacons all over your house. And the beacons even include a built-in LED nightlight with an ambient light sensor in them as well, so they can light your hallways at night if you need them. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. You can manage the network from the palm of your hand and easily create and share a guest network too. Now, Jason, I understand that you have uh, you have installed the Eero Wi-Fi blanket in your home. I have, and I just added some Eero beacons, and it was very easy. You just plug them into the wall. So I one of the things that I like about it is I've got some areas where I don't have wired Ethernet, but you don't need it with the beacons. I mean, you don't didn't need it before, but now this opens up. The the Eero base station, right, is like a little box with a, with a plug. Um, the Eero beacons are like the original Airport Express. They are little boxes that have a plug on them and you just stick them into an outlet somewhere and they do act as a nightlight if you want you can also turn those features off if you don't want them but it's got a little light sensor it'll light up in the in the dark and you can set how you want that to work and when you want that light to come on but what it means is that i was able to just kind of stick one in a plug in the uh dining area of my house which is uh, geographically like a good place for a Wi-Fi base station, but there's no wiring there hmm. for Ethernet. Yep. And so I just plugged I just plugged it in. 
And now there's a little nightlight there and it's a Wi-Fi beacon. I use the app to add it to the network. Uh, it wasn't a problem. I took one of my uh, other Eros and decommissioned it by removing it from my network and unplugging it. The network stayed up the whole time. It was uh, it was uh, pretty cool. So so yeah, I, I now have some Eero beacons in my house uh, that are uh, in my son's my son's bedroom in the closet there, that used to be like the server closet before mm-hmm. it was his bedroom. And there's still like some tech junk in there. And I had my old Airport Express or Air- Airport Extreme was in there back before I did uh, Eero stuff. And I replaced the first gen Eero in there with a beacon. And it's great because I got to pull out all of the Ethernet cables, all of the long kind of like power adapter cords and stuff. And instead, there's just a little nightlight sticking into the, the, um, the outlet that's in there. And that's it. There's no more tech stuff uh, hanging around in there. And the beacon doesn't even need to be wired. It just is repeating the signal that it's getting from the uh, the other Eros. So yeah, it's uh, pretty super simple and uh, allows me to put those, uh, extend my coverage much less obtrusively than before. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second gen Eero and two beacons, which is everything you need to get started. And of course, you can add more on if you want to. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping when they go to Eero.com, that's E-E-R-O.com, and use the promo code UPGRADE. That's Eero.com with the promo code UPGRADE for free overnight shipping. We thank Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Jason, we talk about new products, but we must also talk about the end of old products. Uh, earlier this week, or was it late last week, Apple removed the iPod Nano and the iPod Shuffle from sale uh, just quietly. Apple.com slash iPod now redirects to Apple.com slash iPod Touch. I include a link in the show notes to a noted Apple historian Stephen Hackett. Um, he put together a lovely post and a little uh, YouTube video to, to lament the end of some of the more traditional iPods in the line. The iPod Touch remains on sale. It's one ninety nine now, and it has double the capacity than before. Um, I was wondering, Jason, kind of before we talk about the iPod and what's what's gone away, how long do you think the iPod Touch has left in its life? Well, I think the question is, is the iPod Touch the Mac Mini of iOS? <laughs> or yes, not? it probably is, right? It hasn't been significantly updated in a while, and, I mean, they're, they're putting new storage in it, but... I think that's just to kind of keep it up to date so it can maybe handle some of the more recent updates. But like it's, yeah. it's old now. Was it like an A8 and a and an iPhone 5 screen or something? Yeah, it's old, but it's 199 and it's little. And there are uses, there are probably uses for it in yep, there education and training and all, you know, families, families with little kids who don't want an iPad, but mm-hmm. they want to give them something like there, there are uses for it, but they're scattered and there's no... I think it's harder to point, like with the Mac Mini, at the iPod Touch and say, here is the market for the iPod Touch. It's like, well, no, kind of not. Um, but there are lots of different uses for it. And it probably sells well enough for them to keep it around like the Mac Mini, but not well enough for them to spend a lot of time upgrading it. So again, maybe maybe the iPod Touch dies. Maybe the iPod Touch gets an update at some point that is really minor <laughs> and... Uh, then doesn't get updated again for another three years. That that could totally happen. So I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it's useful for them to have uh, a, a small iOS device that's not a phone, but uh, 
yeah, I mean, I, you could flip a coin on it, but it depends on how much they really sell. Do they know how much they really sell? But I do, I do hear from people who say that they these things happen in, you know, in camps and schools and other places. Now, the iPad is the real question because there's now a fairly low cost iPad, and that is much more successful in schools and other places that used to sort of use iPod Touches. Now they tend to use iPads, so you could maybe argue that they Apple would rather they buy iPads than the iPod Touch, but. I don't know. I mean, if they if it sells well enough to keep it around, why not? The challenge is that it's, you know, advantage is it's using iPhone parts, right? So that makes it that makes it pretty easy. But it doesn't have the cellular stuff. So um, Apple's got the parts. Apple knows how to build something this small. They can make it smaller because it doesn't have any of the cellular stuff and make it cheaper. But do they want to? I don't. I really don't know. I think it's a coin flip. It really depends on does it sell well enough? Does it fill enough of the iOS market? And unlike the Mac Mini, which I feel like is very clearly filling that market, I'm not convinced that Apple is convinced that the iPod Touch is required when the iPod or when the iPad exists. Yeah, for me, it's it's just it's weird to see. Like you know, I'm I'm not incredibly nostalgic for a lot of this stuff, but. The iPod as a music player uh, going away, there's something a little bit sad about that. Like, I have a really great history with that, you know. I'm of the the people that kind of are, are in, interested in this stuff. I'm the iPod generation. You know, the, the iPod got me into the Apple ecosystem. I had an iPod mini, a pink iPod mini was my first Apple product. And it opened the door for me to want to get a Mac you know, and then I got like all of the iPods that I wanted after that, right? Like I had the Nano, the Nano, the iPod Nano, the original iPod Nano is still, I think, one of the most impressive products Apple ever shipped. Just the jump in mm-hmm. in, in what they made going from the iPod Mini, which was small, but this big chunky thing, you know, maybe the size of like a packet of cigarettes or something like that, right? Down to something that was, you know, like, like a packet of I know the shuffle was like this packet of gum, but like the, the mm-hmm. nano was like this thin thing, like almost like a stick of gum, right? Like a few sticks of gum stacked on top of each other, like this impossibly small product. Like how did they go from that to that? Right? Like it was really fascinating. And also like the iPod mini was selling so well for them, but they cut it off and made this new thing. And, you know, then kind of like going to like the iPod video, like I have these vivid memories of like putting TV shows onto my iPod video and, and, when it was like I was supposed to be going to sleep for school the next day, I would be watching TV shows under the covers on my iPod video. The iPod was a very important product to me, and it it's a shame, you know? It is a shame to see the Nano and the, the Shuffle go like the Classic did, because really what's left, it isn't like an iPod, right? Like the iPod Touch is not an iPod. It's an iPhone without a cell radio, yeah, it's an iPod name only because it's basically an I- iPhone. Yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I would say, in fact, the Apple product, most like the iPod now, the Apple Watch, small. Yeah, it's with you. You can load music onto it. You can sync music onto it. It'll play the music back over Bluetooth. You know, it's it's uh, it's the iPod Nano of today. Um, is is the Apple Watch as weird as that is to say? It kind of is. Like, in fact, I had, I had a moment um, when this announcement happened where I thought to myself. You know, I don't think Apple wants to do this, but if Apple wanted to make a next generation iPod, it could just take the Apple Watch tech. 
like literally it could take the Apple Watch technology and use that to make something that's kind of like an Apple Watch and kind of like an iPod Nano or Shuffle with mm-hmm. like a clip on it and just say, here's the new iPod. It does Apple Music and it's got Wi-Fi and it runs little apps and it's basically the Apple Watch. But I don't think they will because I think they want you to buy an Apple Watch to do that. But it's not that far off, right? Like it's got a touch interface that isn't, unlike the, the recent Nano that just got discontinued where it was like a sham of, a, of a, an iOS interface because it's yeah. not actually running iOS. The iPod or the Apple Watch is has a real interface that actually is built for it and it's got, you know, music sync and very much like the iPod it's reliant on a parent device to sync its music. <laughs> it doesn't it can't do it itself. Uh, and so it's very iPod-y in that yeah. way. And 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 you can walk around without your phone or anything and listen to music on it. So, I don't know. I it it just it hit me. I don't think it's ever going to be more than that, but it did strike me that that the today's iPod Nano or iPod Shuffle is an Apple Watch. Hey, what if they made it into the AirPods? Right? You just put music music in the case and, you know? I think a long-term thing for the AirPods is probably like what you can't... Why, why not? Like, in the long... I'm not making a rumor here for this fall or something. I'm saying in the long term, like, mm. at some point, wouldn't couldn't your AirPods be that intelligent? Couldn't couldn't they sync music and store it locally? Like, yeah. I think at some point, you might not need anything more than that to go out for a run. And if you get a call, your AirPods are on your on your cellular plan. Now, there's some issues with having devices that are have, have radios that are that close to your head. Um, for things like cellular connectivity, that might not be the best idea, but having it on your wrist is not that bad. Just build it into the case, right? This case is always going to be there. You just have to carry your case around with you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I suppose so. So, you know, it's just, it's funny. This is where we've come, is that like, we've we've left the world where the iPod is there because you want to have a, 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 and again, some people still want them and need them and use them and great. But for most people, like that is the old tech and the new tech is these smaller devices that we wear that have this stuff built in. And uh, and that's why I feel like the Apple Watch has this kind of like interesting affinity with the the iPod. Like it, it's kind of doing what the iPod did, but in a modern context. So the Wall Street Journal had a profile of Johnny Ive and Apple Park showing us some details, some pictures we haven't seen of the newly opened building. Um, and... You know, you can tell me if you have any other feeling on this, but I think it seems that the majority of discussion that has come out of this profile for whatever was in there is just is is mainly talking about kind of like the open office nature that the Apple Park seems to have. But we've seen some photos in this which show these kind of stark open areas, like these vast open areas, these working areas that we've heard about, right? Like we've heard in previous profiles that Apple Park would contain this stuff, but this is the first time that we've seen anything of it, right? Right. And I think that that is the thing that has has sparked the majority of conversation is like, what does this look like? How is this going to work? So I I wanted to talk a little bit about open offices because I think we both have some some experience with those. Like, it seems like that there are uh, engineers who work inside of Apple reportedly um, and commentators are very upset. So it seems like it seems like there is a, 
coming from the, the Wall Street Journal article, it seems like people are upset, and I've seen lots of people tweeting about this, about the, the idea of potentially loud, disruptive working environments and the idea that the whiteboards are now being replaced by sliding glass doors, which I actually think sounds super cool. Uh, like I think <laughs> of House, right? Like House used to write on the glass. It was awesome. Um, but this is a trend, right? Like this isn't something that Johnny Ive has created. He hasn't created the open office. Like open offices... Are, are a real thing and i think it seems like you mention open offices to people and people hate them right you mention the term open office and everyone's like oh i hate open offices but companies keep installing them and moving in that direction so like i've been thinking about this right there has to be a reason right like if they were as bad if open offices are as bad as people fear or think why do they keep getting put in like if open offices really destroy all productivity wouldn't somebody have worked that out by now well i i don't know about like what studies have been done <laughs> have there been studies done about someone's this? done them right like somebody has well i don't i don't know anything about that and i also don't know anything about um you know Work is not like we tested workers and found that they were more productive because mm -hmm. everybody's work is different. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you can you can boil this down. If you can, then great. But you have to you would have to work very hard in terms of like we had two different scenarios where people's workplaces were essentially identical in every other way, but not in this way because everybody's workloads are different and different different uh, groups work differently and. It's funny because when I wrote my comment on this on this Wall Street Journal piece, what I said was basically um, some people aren't going to like it because I've experienced that. We moved to an open plan and we also moved to a, a, a cube-based office at one point when a lot of people had offices and they got kicked out into cubicles um, when I worked at Mac user. And then at Macworld, um, we ended up at IDG doing an open plan, like a, a severe open plan, no cube walls kind of thing. And uh, I saw it like some people were okay with it and some people were not. And then the other thing that I observed is, and, and this comes from not just this Wall Street Journal story, but the my own personal experience. What I observed is sometimes the people who are, who are designing and rolling out and uh, approving open plan spaces, I, I think sometimes their motivations are flawed. And sometimes they, and not, again, not all the time, and sometimes they lose some perspective because they don't know how the people who are going to be in the space actually work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the managers who are vouching for them do not understand how they actually get work done. And there's often a lot of corporate talk about productivity and collaboration and things like that that uh, goes into this. So I guess what I would say is sometimes offices get built and they're not really looking at studies and they're not looking at evidence and they're not looking ideally they would talk to their people about what they want sometimes that happens sometimes it doesn't sometimes you talk to the people and then you don't give them what they want trust me i've seen it happen sure. so you know so i look at this and i think okay i i'm not a big fan of open plan i i but one of the things that bothers me about it is that um, it seems to often be inflicted on workers by people who think that it's great, mm -hmm. but aren't doing the job that they're doing. Now, I've heard since I wrote that, I've heard from people who are programmers who say, 
I love OpenPlan because collaboration is an incredibly important part of what I do. But I also heard from lots of programmers who say it's terrible. Yep. Because it's distracting and I need to focus. And like Joel, Spols- Joel Spolsky wrote a, a piece about how, you know, developers need to be in a f- in flow, right? Where they get in a groove and they are really working on that. And that's when they're at their most productive. And you've got audio and visual clutter in an open plan that distracts you and gets you out of out of flow. And his suggestion was programmers are at their most productive when they are in a space they can control. And that means like cue balls or an office. Now, not every developer is going to be like that. Our friend Casey has always worked in cubicles, right? And some people are fine with that. Although cubicles aren't open plan. I'll point that out. Like open plan is you have a table and you can look around and see everybody else working in the room like everybody there's no you don't have any privacy at all you are completely exposed that's what open plan is and that's what apple is doing so you know again it's an adaptation it's going to be a productivity hit for apple some of the people are going to hate it and what i found at idg is people can come up with ways to deal with open plan they face the wall they put on headphones they do things to um they work from home like they do things to try to override the open plan because they need to do their work and collaboration is something collaboration is important right but i think it's importance gets overstated and you know in my workplace like there was always there were always times where we needed to collaborate. We wanted to stand up, we talk, we go into a room and and have a conversation and draw things on a whiteboard. That's totally important. It does happen. I do think it gets overstated. Then there's the part where you have to go back to your desk and work. And very rarely is somebody's work, especially in if you're a writer, if you're a programmer, something where literally the work you're doing is happening with someone there, unless you're doing like pair programming or something like that. Like you are sitting down by yourself and focusing. And if you're in a workspace that is not conducive to focus, then you're not going to be able to do your job very well. And I think that's the challenge that Apple has here. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much Apple talked to its people. I don't know how much this was driven by design. I don't know. I've not seen the space, like, in use. That's one of the things I'm kind of fascinated by is will we see a picture of a workspace at Apple Park at some point when people are moved in and there's clutter and there are humans and what does that look like and how is it working? But... I am a little bit skeptical that this is a design-driven project, that the developers who work on this stuff are going to have to do some serious adaptation and are going to be frustrated and are going to push back. And some of that is a fear of change, but some of that may be legitimate resistance to uh, a distracting work environment. Um, Because as much as people say, oh, no, collaboration is great. Who among us would argue that collaboration isn't important? But at the end of the day, when I'm writing an article, like I'm not writing an article while talking to somebody. I am focused. I'm not collaborating at that point. And, you know, even in a Google Doc where somebody else is in there like making changes while I'm working, that's distracting. Having people walking around and standing by my desk and things like that, super distracting. So again, not for everybody. Some people will like it. Some people will hate it. But I do, I I think I got to call, uh, call out the suggestion that, well, this is just how it works now. And it's great because collaboration, because it strikes me that this is more like it looks great. You can see everybody if you're a manager and you can see what they're doing. They can't hide from you and it's cheaper. 
in, not in Apple's case, but in general, because you don't have to pay for those cube walls or those offices. You can just have a completely reconfigurable space where everybody's out in the open. So I worked for like three years in an open plan office and it definitely had its downsides. Like one of the biggest problems for me was if there were people that got on your nerves, you couldn't hide from them. Like they were there every day, like frustrating you and you'd keep hearing them or whatever, like just doing their thing, right? Like we're all human. We don't have to like everybody. There are people that can just frustrate you, right? And there were people like that. But it, it can be distracting, yeah, for sure. But there were definitely benefits to it. Like I honestly felt like collaboration was aided with my coworkers. Like we could all frequently jump in to help each other out with problems, right? Like someone would say something to the table. There's like 13 of us sharing this like desk. You know, there'd be like six on one side, six, seven on the other side. Everybody's kind of just like around this huge table, this long table. And there were upsets to it, right? Like we could help each other out. We could solve problems. Like it was a thing that was useful in some situations. Of course, it could be difficult in others, but like this is why everybody had headphones, right? Like this was the thing. When when you didn't want to be bothered, you put the headphones on. And when you, but it was really easy to get somebody's attention if you needed and wanted to ask them a question. Like there are benefits to it, but of course it shouldn't and doesn't work for everyone, but also in the same way that private offices won't work for everyone either. Totally. Totally. Now, I, I agree. But this and that, this is one of my questions is for Apple Park is like, who decided and did they talk to the developers who decided that uh, developers love being out in the open versus in little rooms? Because I think everybody having their own office is pretty extreme, right? That's pretty extreme. And then you have to you have to make a real effort to get people out of their offices. At the same time, um, and maybe it's generational where younger programmers have no problem just sitting out at a table where everybody, they can see everybody in their, in their office and, and all, all that. I, I, I get your, your, what you're saying about, um, being able to have a conversation with somebody. Although when you described that table, I thought, well, that sounds like hell to me. I would have to put on headphones at which point somebody can't say, Hey, Jason, instead they have to wave at me. And then am I now worried that I need to look around to see if somebody's waving at me in order to get my attention so that I can take my headphones out and pause my music. We used to IM each other to get attention. Okay. You know, so why not just use IM? <laughs> well, why not go to a collaboration space? It's way, it's way better to be able to talk to someone who's across the desk from you than have an IM thing and also like so here's the thing like saying but why not get up and go to a collaborative a more collaborative space i mean we we had right because there was no space right that gets back to the whole reason they're doing this i'm sure all right space is a premium because it's cheaper but like it's it's not even about cheaper it's like how big are you, can you make your building right like apple park is huge and they still can't fit everyone in it right like i've been to a bunch of big technology companies now i've been to their offices and every single one of them is open plan like and they have offices that people can go into for meetings and stuff like that but these companies are so huge they have so many people what else are you going to do right well that, that's and that's what my point actually you just made my point which is um the reason this happens is because configuring offices is expensive mm -hmm. you have to put in uh, drywall you know you have to you have to build the offices in there and then if you reconfigure because you're you leave and the next company comes in because you've grown and you've outgrown the space then they want to reconfigure and they tear the offices out and they put in new offices and that's really expensive it's way cheaper to just have an empty room that you stick 
tables in or maybe uh, low walls or maybe you make like rows with higher walls and then everything else is a low wall because you're just in an empty box. There are lots of really good reasons financially to do open plan. Lots of them. None of them has to do with the productivity of your workers. None of them has to do with them feeling like they can focus on their job. It's all about the managers and the budget. And, you know, that's the facts, right? Like it's it would be almost impossible to create an, a, a space with all offices and you wouldn't want to because that would be oppressive. But at the same time, I don't buy the argument that... I think they're selling us and they're selling workers, which is, no, no, open plan is great for you too. It's not just because it's cheaper for us. It's not just because it's our budget. It's great for you because it's so collaborative. It's like, okay, there are jobs where collaboration is important at various levels. There are jobs where you really need to focus. And some people maybe can be masters of focus. I don't think I could survive doing what I do, I mean, podcasts aside, because that doesn't work, but like being a writer and an editor, doing what I've done for my career. If I was sitting at a de- at a table with no barriers with 10 other people, even if I had my headphones in, because I think it would be very hard for me to focus, especially if I knew that some of them might want to talk to me at some point. I think that would be a very difficult way to adapt. Now, maybe if you're 22 and you're, you're just starting out, you totally uh, deal with the distractions differently and you're able to do it. That There may be some generational things happening here. But what, what sours me on this is I feel like open plan is used way too often as an excuse to tell the workers to shut up and take it because it's actually good for them because collaboration and uh, and at apple like i hope apple's better than this i said this on twitter when people were asking me about it it's like i hope apple's better than this i hope apple knows exactly who their people are and how they do their job and that they've configured the workspaces in this incredible next generation uh building to get the most out of their workers my fear is that this is a design project first and foremost and Johnny Ive and all of his collaborators want it to look like this. And then reality will intrude. And then the the question will be like, oh my God, the engineers are freaking out. It's like, okay, well, it's a period of adaptation. Let's give them six months. But in six months or a year, do, does somebody go, yeah, we're going to need to put up some, some cube walls. We're going to need to put up some offices. We're going to yeah, need to change yeah. this. Because... Um, I think I think this is one of those cases where the battle plan doesn't stay the same once it meets the enemy. I think that when Apple mm-hmm. Park is opened, you're going to find that a lot of the people who build the software, especially that uh, that Apple relies on, are going to have some serious problems adapting to the work environment. And hopefully mo- most of those go away after six months. But uh, I wouldn't count on it. I don't know. I feel like it's a maybe. I don't think it's possible to to make a statement like that, to just be like, it's not going to work. And I'm not saying that you're necessarily making that statement, but like I've seen a lot of people just saying... I didn't say that. As I just said, I've seen a lot of people saying like, oh, it's not going to work. Like engineers can't work that way, right? And I don't think that it's possible to make those kinds of claims. Look, for every person who said to me, "Um, it's fine, (laughs) right? Like I've gotten some people who are like, I have an open plan and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Works for me, right? It's like, okay, well, great. It works for you. You Have you proven anything by telling me it works for you? You've proven that it's not terrible for 100% of the people. For every one of those, I've gotten one or two people who said it won't work. It's terrible. Programmers can't work like that. 
those statements are wrong, right? Like some people can work like this. The question is going to be again, what's in the middle? Like there, and again, I want to say like change, like, of course people are going to be resistant to change. Of course that's going to happen. The people who are used to another working environment are going to come into this space and be like, Oh boy, like we got our big, beautiful brand new space at IDG. And it was big and beautiful and new and so much more modern than the old thing, which was like a uh, like out of a magazine m- movie about a magazine in the 1980s. Like it was super old and dark and terrible. And the new space was none of those things. And yet, once we all got, got settled in, it was like, oh, I don't know. Like it was not great. And that's resistance to change. You got to adapt. It, it It's going to happen. But yeah, in the long run, w- w- who's going to bend? Are the employees going to adapt? Are some of them not going to be able to adapt? Is the company going to be able to adapt? Once this building is not a grand opening anymore, but an ongoing concern, are managers going to, and the people running the facility going to adapt? Um, Are they going to say, look, look, it's always going to be this way and leave Apple if you don't like it or get on board? Or are they going to be like, you know, this is bad. We need to fix this because we are we are, you know, distracted and we're losing people or they're great engineers that we don't want to lose and we need to change it. I don't know. I I don't know how it's going to go. I just have my little spider sense going off that I've seen this. I've seen this happen before. And it, it, it just in in my environment and IDG is not Apple by a long shot, but in my environment, um, it was not the most productive workplace after all. And it was less open than Apple's is actually, because we did have rows with higher walls. The, the, the Apple photos, there's like your wall next to you is actually a glass panel with a conference room behind it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there'll be meetings going on while you're sitting there um, and they can see you and you can see them. And I don't know. Well, well, it's it, it looks beautiful. This is the thing. It looks beautiful. How does it work? Because... As Steve Jobs told us, design isn't how it looks. Design is how it works. And so I hope Apple has made good design decisions for Apple Park about the people who work there being able to get their work done productively. Because if it's a beautiful building that people hate to work in and are not productive in, it's a failure. So it needs to be a success. And that means the people need to be productive and happy when they work there. Just before we move on. I just want to state for the record, like, I'm not saying this is good. I'm not saying it's bad, right? Like, I feel like sometimes, you know, I'm doing my best to 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 argue with you, right? To sure. to, to, to 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 for conversation. I don't always like. You don't hate the Mac Mini. <laughs> no, I, I don't always necessarily believe like 100 percent of what I say. Like a lot of the time, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate to draw out the conversation. You know, my feeling on this, like if I was to summarize it, it's just like, when I look at something like this, I'm like, well, I assume the reason they're doing this is the reason they have to do it. And it may purely be like, look, at the end of the day, we only have so much space. And it's like, you can either work here or you can go back to Cupertino. You can go back to Infinite Loop, right? Like it's, we can only fit so many people in. And we're just going to see how it goes. Like, I see that as being like a real potential here. And it's not necessarily saying that like anybody believes it's good or bad or better or worse. But it's like we want to try and get as many people as we can into Apple Park. And the only way we can do that is to put you all in this room together. Right. But that is. But again, where the rubber meets the road is like 
does it work as a workplace? Like I get like we want to, they could pack them in. They could, they could pack them in even tighter, like make fill every space in Apple park. And mm-hmm. until it's like a sweatshop, they could do that, but they won't do that because that would be a terrible place to work. The question is like, where does that line get drawn? And over time, does it change? And we don't know Apple. Look at, right now, Apple is, is justifiably proud of their space and they're showing it off. It is a beautiful brand new building. Unbelievable. It is yeah. the dream of Steve jobs. I would it like is to work billions there. of dollars. <laughs> I want to see it. It, looks amazing uh-huh. um and that that's all great it's just that when the wall street journal specifically calls out like trepidation about these spaces i'm like yeah i can see that i went through it um and it, it will all come down to how people react how the how managers work with their staff how the staff reacts how flexible the facility is to make adjustments based on how people work. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're somebody who says, look, I can't work without a private office, give that to me or I'm out of here, I doubt Apple Park is going to be able to please them. Right? They're going to be like, sorry, that's not going to happen. We, you know, at IDG, it was the same thing. It's like we had two yeah. offices in the entire side of the building I was on. And I was in one of them and I was actually kind of miserable because the office was terrible too. I, I almost, I, I think I would have rather been out in the cubes. In fact, if I hadn't left, I probably would have moved out into a cube because uh, it was a tiny, dark interior office that was soul-sucking. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see, we'll see how the adaptation happens. It's going to take time. There are going to be stories about angry people at Apple who hate Apple Park. There are going to be stories about uh, tech failures at Apple Park. Oh, this elevator didn't work. Or, oh, it leaked when it rained. Or it got a little too cold and everybody had to bring jackets. Or Apple had to buy jackets for everybody. We're going to get those stories because it's a new facility and it's going to shake down. And every everything that Apple does is reported with high drama. My question is just like, for Apple's ongoing productivity and the happiness of the people who work there, what is that workspace like in a year? And is it something where it's kind of like, nope, we decided it's going to be like this. You guys are all going to have to deal. Or is it going to be, oh, uh, this group doesn't work like that. We should make some changes. And I hope it's the latter because that's how that's how a good company deals with this. And this is not a... Unlike so many of these companies where they rent office space and they're in there for a few years and then they move, right? Where you can't make big structural changes because uh, it's not worth the investment because you're not going to be there very long. You've got a a small lease. This is Apple's building for essentially the rest of Apple's existence as a company. Like they need to get this right, not just for now, but for the long term. So we'll see. We'll see. But I hope, I hope they're continuing to listen to their, uh, their employees about what makes a conducive workspace. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Encapsula. They have website security tools, the best website security tools, and a content delivery network that makes any website safer, faster, and more reliable. Every single day, websites of all sizes can be attacked. These criminals that that do this stuff, they use giant botnets and these scrape website content. They're trying to force and break their way into databases whilst bringing down websites with horrible DDoS, denial of service attacks. Encapsula's network holds three terabits per second of on-demand scrubbing capacity and can process 30 billion attacks per second. So when this stuff is happening, Encapsula's there, just wiping it all away. And this is why they have successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. 
If something bad happens and you are attacked and you're under some kind of DDoS attack, Encapsula's powerful CDN network ensures that your content is delivered to your customers fast. People coming to your website would never even know that something bad was going on. And if anything does happen to you, you can see it all happening live on Encapsula's dashboard, adjusting your security policies on the fly to deal with what's happening. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free so you can see just how Encapsula can help things run nice and smooth. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com slash upgrade. You'll find out more here about Encapsula's service and also claim your free month as well. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, it is time for Ask Upgrade. Already? Already. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy asked, do you think that at some point Apple may make matte black or jet black iPad Pros? Wow. I think it's possible depending on how the color line shakes out into the future because we can get gold ones, right? Like you can get gold now. I don't think you can get rose gold, but you can get gold. So if matte black and jet black just become standard colors over the years, seems possible, right? Like maybe the space gray gets replaced with matte black or something. I think there's a materials issue, which is um, these are larger devices. So like fingerprints on them are different. Mm-hmm. Um, physically making them is different. And that's that's my, my gut feeling about like a, a jet black iPad is can they really make that? And how would it hold up? And how expensive would it be for them to manufacture that? And would that eat into their profit margin? I think it's mm-hmm. possible. Um, the matte black is very fingerprinty. Um, the jet black is kind of fingerprinty too. I think on large devices, I would say think about the iPad Pro and think about the MacBook and the MacBook Pro the same way, which is like they yeah. want those to be, they have been really conservative with those and making something that isn't in that anodized aluminum uh, thing, I, I, I think is something they're willing to do on an Apple Watch or an iPhone, but not on a bigger device. So uh, I, I doubt it, um, but we'll see. I think it's more likely that they would do uh, yeah, they would have another cal- color variation um, like they have on, um, uh, like how those iPod Touches have colors, right? Or there's the there's the red iPhone. I think it's more likely that we might see a, a new kind of very subtle color variation that rolls across the line eventually than something that is like um, super shiny like a, like a jet black. So next up today from James, do you think there's any chance that there might be an iPhone SE update this fall, considering how popular the product was when it launched and kind of took Apple by surprise? Well, there's always a chance, although I kind of, I mean, maybe, although uh, I mean, the, the question is, what's the easiest for Apple? Like, is it, is it easier for Apple to slipstream the iPhone SE when they announce new iPhones in the fall, or is it easy for them to do it like later? when they're not busy with other things and have that drop in the spring like they did when they originally announced the iPhone SE. I don't know. My gut feeling is that it would be easier for them to release that design later rather than say, well, here's a new iPhone 8 and an iPhone 7S Plus and an iPhone 7S and an iPhone SE, right? Like, would it be easier for them to just say, you know, the SE is not about the latest and greatest. We will we will update it next spring uh, with the innards of an iPhone 7 or something or a 7S. Uh, so, yeah, it's possible. It remains to be seen whether it's going to join the iPhone line for updates, whether it'll, it'll get updated sort of off-axis every other year in the spring or whether it won't get updated at all. I think that's also a question. I hope it does, though. 
Yeah, I feel that this is one that I really haven't got a solid feeling on. I mean, they only did it once, so yeah. we, we're we're guessing now. I I don't think it's going to go away. I think that there is a great value in that size. I was one of those people who were was plucking them, not giving away that size uh, from the beginning. And now that it exists, you know, I'm on board with the yes. It needs to get updated. I'm not sure it needs to get updated with everything else. In fact, if they're trying to kind of like ramp up those big iPhones and get that up and going, like they did with the iPhone SE, where then later they came in and said, oh yeah, and this has last year's last false tech in this thing too um you know that that might be a more fitting place in its lineup but we just don't know because we only have the one data point which is when they release the se yeah and also my my feeling is assuming that it's going to be an se isn't necessarily the right thing to think about right like the 5c was kind of this as well right like a a new phone with all parts inside like there is a possibility of just like a different thing thing you know maybe more like the 5c where it's got some kind of new case you know like i feel like the idea of apple releasing a new inverted commas iphone with old parts is like that's not a new idea and they could continue to do that and i think will continue to do that but i have no real good sense of what i think it's going to look like the next time they do it or even when sorry uh considering this is from michael not from me michael's considering a new macbook pro purchase doesn't like the touch bar do we think that the touch bar is here to stay and that he should just get used to it and buy the macbook pro i don't know i feel like it's going to at least last another generation like even if they even if apple decide they don't like it i don't think they'd can it that quick yeah i mean that's probably right um if you've got the if you're getting a 13, you could just get it without a touch bar and mm-hmm, that's a pretty mm-hmm. good computer. But uh, if you want a 15 or you want like more, more, more power, then you could get it with a touch bar. I don't, I don't love the touch bar. I think it's got a lot of potential, but I am not seeing the touch bar being uh, meeting its potential. Like high Sierra doesn't really have anything to speak of about touch bar in it, which is really disappointing. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you could get used to it. I'm not convinced it's here to stay because it doesn't seem like a hit. It seems like something Apple's still trying to make it make it happen. And I don't find people loving it as a group. It seems like it's it's present. So I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer here other than if you don't like the touch bar and you can buy a MacBook Pro that, may, that pleases you that doesn't have it, which is that 13-inch model, maybe that's what you should do and just not worry about the touch bar and wait wait for later to see if the touch bar evolves into something you like or goes away. Corey wants to know, in the new Files app in iOS 11, can you be signed into two different Dropbox accounts? I had to think about this for a minute. I was like, why? Why would you need that? Like, I can't, I don't think there's any way you can currently do that, like, on any device, right? Like, I don't think, yeah. You can't do that anywhere, right? Like, you can't do it on the Mac, I don't think. You definitely can't do it in the Dropbox app. But I was thinking about this, right? And I was like, do you know what? There might be a way around this in files, in the files app. So, okay, so let me back up a second. Right now, no. But Dropbox hasn't been updated, of course. Right, so it's it, it's in the files app currently, but it's just the old document provider, right? Like it just opens a window. Eventually, it's going to get updated and it's going to appear in files. It's going to be amazing, and we're all going to be so happy. But I still don't think that you're going to be able to have the Dropbox letting you sign into two accounts because I just it, it's such a niche thing. I just don't think you're going to be able to do that. But I think you could spoof it because you could use another app, something maybe like Documents by Readle, to sign into the second Dropbox account. 
then that will show up in files, and effectively you'll have access to two different Dropbox accounts within the Files app, right? Like that seems like that would work, right? Maybe as long as those apps aren't doing. I mean, this is the thing. Like, like uh, if those apps are using the new files method, which they're all going to get updated to do, then it's not going to happen. But if they're using an older method that is separately isolated logging into Dropbox, then maybe so. Yeah, I use Goodreader um, sometimes to do this. But I think Dropbox very much wants you to have one Dropbox account, I think. I wonder if this is like a personal one and a work one or something like that that have a different set of files on them. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the intent is to do this, but we don't know. So I think, yeah, the second second app workaround is maybe not, not terrible, but it's not going to provide the files experience then. It's going to be in another app. Well, no, but you could, I'm assuming that documents will be a file provider, right? Like it will have all the stuff. So you'll be able to get, because it is currently. So yeah, but th- then there, are they syncing? I don't know. That's that maybe, maybe not. Like, we'll have to see. Like I, my, my conception of this is it could work in some strange way, but I don't know. Right. But like when I was thinking about this, I was like, hmm, maybe that will work, but we don't know. We'll see. Travis wants to know, does Photos on iOS 11, Jason, support smart albums? I don't think so. I mean, there's nothing more to say. As far as I can tell, smart albums are still not supported. Um, they don't work. You can't see them. They. The last time I checked, I haven't checked in recent betas, but when I talked to Apple about it, that was not a thing that came up. So it seems like not. Ido Ido asked... Do you primarily use your iPad in portrait or landscape? What about you, Jason? Uh, landscape. Me and Almost, landscape. almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. I will use it in portrait for reading comics. Mm-hmm. Um, for sometimes for reading articles, because depending on the app, like uh, I use the New York Times app, I, I often will read that. Not always, but often will read that in portrait because the column width is too wide in landscape. But sometimes I read it in landscape. Most, I, I would say most of the time, like 95% of the time, my iPad is in landscape. I'm mostly in landscape as well because I have the keyboard attached. But like I will sometimes turn it into portrait. Like if I'm reading Twitter for a while or something, you know, it's nicer in landscape. In portrait. I, I, I mean, I think I've complained about this before, but I am frustrated by Apple's insistence that in its industrial design that the iPad is a portrait device because I just don't think it is. I think it's a landscape device. And the fact mm-hmm. that the home button is on the bottom in in uh, in portrait and so you've got, a when you're using it in the landscape all the time, you've just got one side's got a button on it. Which side is it? Because you could use it either way. And uh, so that I find that kind of uh, ridiculous. And uh, when you start it up, the Apple logo is there in portrait orientation. And of course, on the back, the Apple logo is in portrait orientation. And that makes it just like every other iOS device. But I never use my iPhone in landscape mode <laughs> unless I'm watching a video or pay- playing a game. But my iPad, it's always in landscape orientation. Always. Mm-hmm. With very few exceptions. So I think that's a little bit silly that Apple... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm an outlier. But I, I feel like the iPad is a landscape device more often than portrait. If you would like to send in questions for Ask Upgrade, you can tweet at us with the hashtag AskUpgrade. Uh, you can also, don't forget to send in your Snell Talk questions if you want to be at the start of the show. Hashtag Snell Talk will send those in. If you want to find our show notes today, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 
too. If you want to find Jason online, is at sixcolors.com and at Jason L on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks to Eero, Ting, and Encapsula for supporting the show. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time, and I'm going to be in the United States of America. Until then, Mr. Jason Snell, say goodbye. Bye, everybody.